Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me uh, welcome those of you that are watching online. And we're doing a series called The Story. And there are four parts to this particular series and ways that you can be involved. The first one is to read a chapter from the story, which is really a selective Bible reading program, chapter by chapter. If you want to use your own Bible, there are bookmarks for that purpose out in the lobby, or each week the study outline will say what to read uh, for the following week. But you can just read it uh, chapter by chapter in uh, the story Bible that you can purchase out in the lobby for, uh, it costs us $6, but whatever you can afford. We don't want anybody not to have a Bible or not to have the story, uh, this particular selected Bible reading program. We don't want you to have it, uh, not be able to have it because of finances. So $6 or whatever you can afford. Then number two are life groups, which dig deeper into what we're doing here in the studies uh, Sunday by Sunday. And if you look on page five, would everybody look with me on page five in their programs? And you'll see that we have a variety of different life groups that drill deeper on the story from what I'm teaching here on Sunday morning. You'll see that on page seven, there are 17 different life groups uh, between the three hours concurrent with our worship services, 8.30, 11 And so I encourage you uh, to connect with one of those. Or you'll see midweek at 7 o'clock, the Spanish-speaking one is in G100. And then the English-speaking one is in H100, led by my wife, Kimberly. And any of you that attend that know that she is by far the best Bible teacher in our family. And I'm not blowing smoke, and I'm not trying to make up for embarrassing things I've said about her in the past. Okay, uh, I really uh, mean that. She's a great, great Bible teacher. And then you'll see the home groups throughout the week, small groups. And an interesting one there is you'll see one read, led by Brian Coulter, which is an online study group. And so even if you're not able to get out geographically, you can do that right from your computer and be a part of our online study group. So the first part is to read this chapter each week. The second part is to get involved in a life group. The third part of this is the messages here on Sunday morning. Then the fourth part is kind of an unintended byproduct that we are actually very excited about. And that is we have heard amazing stories of people giving this to other people in their oikos, the Greek word for household, uh, your sphere of influence, your purpose from God, your assignment from God is to go to heaven and take your eight to 15 and your sphere of influence with you to heaven. And we have just heard some great stories of giving these to people in our oikos and how God has used it to connect him with his word. And so I encourage you to get two of these, one of these for yourself and one of them uh, to give away. Now, the next chapter of the story is entitled, our study this morning, I Dreamed a Dream. This weekend, we celebrate the life of one dreamer. And this morning, we're studying the life of another dreamer named Joseph from 1900 BC, 3,900 years ago. And this is just one of the best stories of all time. I mean, tremendous spiritual application, as we're going to see. But even if you take that out, it's just a great story. I mean, just so many twists and turns and ups and downs. It's got a surprise ending. They even made a hit Broadway musical out of it. Yeah, just a great, great story. Uh, first of all, Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. At the age of 17, he was the favorite of his father, Jacob. Now, Jacob should have known better than to continue this pattern because favoritism had torn his family apart. Uh, he had been the favorite of his mother. Uh, his uh, brother Esau had been the favorite of his father and had torn their family right in two. And yet we see how this has continued in the pattern in his life, but Joseph stops it. At the end of the story, we're not going to cover it this morning, but you'll see where Jacob is going to go bless uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, the sons of, of Joseph. 
And he crosses his hands to bless the younger more than the older. And that's what God had told him to do. But you see Joseph kind of jump in there and say, no, Dad, I don't think that's fair. You should go it the other way. And you can see that he's trying to defend the rights of Manasseh, even though Ephraim was going to get uh, the better blessing. But Jacob assured him, no, this is what, in this case, God told me to do. But you know, favoritism is just another sidebar story to this whole story of Jacob, of, of, of Joseph. It just destroys families. We should avoid it at all costs. Parents, we've got to avoid it with our children. Grandparents, got to avoid it with our grandchildren. It does so much harm. It does so much harm in the workplace. It does harm in church. James writes, don't show favoritism in church. And favoritism is something that just wounds people so deeply, and it causes such division. But Joseph, at the age of 17, is the favorite of his father Jacob. Now, Joseph had dreams of his brothers and parents bowing down to him. Now, note to self, if you have a dream like that, don't share it with your brothers and sisters. Just not a good idea. And God speaks to him through dreams. Now, God speaks through a variety of different ways. But it's, it's interesting that he does it differently sometimes when the person is in the nation of Israel, the promised land, than when they're either leaving Israel or outside of it in another country. And so usually when it's in the promised land, in the nation of Israel, God speaks directly or he speaks through his word or through his prophets. That's normally how he speaks. But when you're either leaving the country or outside the country, like David, Daniel in Iraq, or like people in other countries like Joseph, most of these dreams that we see, uh, four out of the six of them are going to be in Egypt when he's in another country. God speaks by dreams. And it's a remarkable thing that today there's a phenomenon going on in countries where the gospel can't be preached, uh, Muslim countries, Islamic countries, that God is using dreams in a powerful way. I've heard some amazing stories how Jesus will appear to Muslim people in their dreams and, and call on them to follow after him. And this is the way God works when He's not in a situation where his word is proclaimed or in that situation where his prophets can foretell his word. And so he has these dreams. Joseph's brothers sell Joseph into slavery and tell Jacob that Joseph was killed by a ferocious animal. Now, again, you see this pattern of deceitfulness. Now, this goes all the way back to his great-grandfather, Abraham. Abraham lied. And then Isaac watched his dad do it, and he lied when they went into these other countries, and he would lie about their wife uh, being their wife instead being their sister. And then Jacob picks up on it, and he's a deceiver. And now the sons of Jacob are deceivers as well. But Joseph stops that pattern as a deceiver, this family generational sin that was passed on from generation to generation. He said, just like the song Josh was singing, I am not my family tree. I always say, when there are things in your family tree that are good, just let them grow. But when they're not so good, trim them back. Uh, That's where you're swimming upstream. When it's things in your family tree that are healthy and wholesome, just go with the flow, because you'll naturally go in that direction. But things that you don't care for, then with the grace of God, swim upstream and break that pattern. And that's what he does here, this pattern of deceitfulness. Then Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites who take Joseph to Egypt. Now we'll pop our map up here and you'll see that the story starts in Hebron at the bottom there in the south in what is today the nation of Israel. And then Joseph goes up to Dothan where his brothers are shepherding sheep uh, to look for them. That's where they sell him into slavery and the slave traders take him down south uh, to Egypt to be sold uh, there after they had imprisoned him and threw him into the pit and then they pull him out and sell him to these slave traders. And let's just read the story because this story speaks for itself. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt 
Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Egypt's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, this is a phrase that you hear over and over again in his story. And maybe you were invited here to church just to hear that one phrase. Maybe what's going on in your life right now is something that's so difficult to understand. And the one reason, you're not here by coincidence, you're here by providence, by God's divine invitation to hear this one phrase, the Lord was with, and put your name in the blank. The Lord was with Bill, or the Lord was with Mary, or the Lord was with Jose or Juanita. The Lord was with Joseph. Whatever you're going through this morning, you are invited here just to hear that one word of encouragement that the Lord is with you in that thing. So that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, there's that phrase again, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He says, it's not a victimless crime. Uh, Potiphar would be a victim, I'd be sinning against him, and ultimately I'd be sinning against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. Now this is a smart boy. He says, just stay away from it. Don't see how strong I am, don't see how tough I am, but just stay away from it. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said to him, come to bed with me, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. They say he was a coward. Oh no, he was just smart. Uh, you know, it's interesting how the Bible says that there are certain strategies for certain temptations. We tend to think that sin is one size fits all and every temptation has the same ways to approach it. And yet the Bible gives us specialized instructions for different types of temptation. It says, for example, if you're a warrior, like I said I am, well, then the antidote is prayer. When you begin to worry about that thing, you begin to pray about that thing. If your uh, temptation is pride, the antidote for scripture from Scripture is worship. Get our eyes off of ourselves and on to God in, in worship. If we struggle with materialism and greed, the Bible says you should give and be more generous as an antidote to greed and materialism. And when it comes to sexual sin, the Bible has one-word instructions. Flee. Run, forest, run is what it says in the original Greek. It just says, just run. Don't say, oh, I'm going to see how tough I am. I'm going to see if God can give me strength in this situation. God says, forget about it. Just get out of there. Uh, flee. And that's what he does. When she saw that he had left the cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me. But I screamed, and when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. 
She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, and he burned with anger. Now that gives you an indication that he believed his wife. But then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. That's an indication that part of him doubted her story. Because back then, there were no trials in American democracy or anything like that. If you hit on your master's wife and you're a slave, you're going to be killed instantly. They kill you and then ask questions later on. They execute you and then have the trial afterwards. I mean, you remember what happened in the story of Esther, where Xerxes walks in and he thinks Haman is in a compromising situation with his wife. They drag him out and put him on the, ha- the gallows right away. Within an hour, he's dead. And so the fact that he doesn't kill him, but instead puts him in prison, just makes me wonder, can't be for sure, but it makes me wonder if he doubted the story, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Would you repeat that phrase with me? The Lord was with him. You know, our tendency is when we're in a prison, maybe you're in some kind of prison, some kind of a jam, some kind of a tough spot, some kind of a situation this morning. And our tendency is to say, to all of our prayers say, God, get me out of here, get me out of prison, get me out of prison, get me out of prison, get me out of prison. But instead, Joseph asked the question, God, how can you use me in prison? Uh, Instead, our prayer should be, God, do you have a purpose in this? We think that we just want to tread water in this prison until we get out of it, and then we can begin to seek the purpose of God once again for our lives. And maybe God's purpose can be fulfilled even in that prison that you and I are in this morning. And so he puts him in prison, but then the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Maybe God invited you here this morning just to hear this one thing that prison that you're in. I can fulfill my purpose even there. It's not just during the good times. It's in those prisons. It's in those times when we're enslaved to something. I can work in those situations as well. Got a modern day example of that. Tom Randall, we just, is a beloved missionary connected with our church. Uh, Just one of the best speakers ever. We had him here in uh, in November and he spoke at the men's conference. And then we're gonna have him back in October if he's out of prison. We're going to have him back in October to speak here in church and also to uh, speak at our men's conference. But, you know, he's got this amazing work with orphans all across the Philippines. Just an unbelievable work. And he told us when he was here back in November that he is always having to deal with attacks and persecutions and, and false accusations, all these kind of things. And he just got thrown into prison. Tom is in prison. We need to pray for him in the Philippines. But notice this. This is a picture of the mayor of the city having his picture taken with Tom in prison. Now, that's a popular public figure. When you want your picture, you're a politician, you want your picture taken with him even when he's in prison. My goodness, and that's how well Tom is known all across the Philippines. Well, you can go to a website, and it says uh, free Tom Randall, and put your information in there to support him in that. We need to pray that he gets out of prison, but he's had some physical problems. 
And so they offered to take him to a hospital and get him out of the prison and let him do his time there in the hospital. And he refused the invitation because there's revival going on in the prison right now. And there are seven people that have come to Christ so far just since he's been thrown in jail. And so Tom said, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. I want to just stay right here because God is doing too much right now in the prison. And if, Lord willing, he gets out and he speaks here in October, can you imagine the story he will tell? I mean, he is the best storyteller ever. I just can't wait to hear that story. But he said, no, don't get me out. I've got too much fruitfulness right here where I am in the prison. And maybe that's what we need to do as well, like Joseph, like Tom Randall. Joseph sold as a slave to Potiphar, and his wife tries to seduce him. Let's go with the high points here. While in prison, he gets a reputation for correctly interpreting dreams. The Lord was with Joseph as a repeated refrain in his story. And now he's promoted to deputy Pharaoh in Egypt. The Pharaoh, we believe, he's dealing with is Sesostris III. We see a Sphinx figure, a Sphinx figure of him there, of Sesostris III. Uh, we see from archaeology of the Egyptians that they took dreams very, very seriously. And here's a fascinating one where from the archaeologists have uncovered the Egyptian Book of the Dead. And see how, just like in Joseph's dream, there are the seven fat cows, and then there's the lean one that comes to devour the other seven. We found this. Archaeologists have discovered this in their archaeological digs in, among the Egyptians. So Pharaoh has troubling dreams that none of his wise men and magicians can interpret for him. So Joseph is called in, correctly interprets the dreams, and says that Pharaoh needs to prepare for the fulfillment of those dreams. The, dream, the first dream was that they will have seven uh, fat cows, bountiful years of harvest, followed by dream number two, lean cows. Egypt will have seven years of famine. And then Joseph is reunited with and forgives his brothers. Uh, Genesis chapters 42 through 50. His brothers come to Egypt. They do bow down to him. At the age of 39, in fulfillment with his dream he had back when he was 17, and they ask for food. Now, Joseph, read this story on your own, because it is just such a great story. He perfectly sets up a retesting of the brothers with almost identical circumstances to what they did to him to see if they'll do the same thing now, they've learned their lesson, or will they do the same thing with his younger brother, Benjamin? And it's just amazing how he sets it up where they can leave Benjamin in prison. They can have him killed. They can, they can lie about it. It can all be taken care of. And he sets it up perfectly. And you know what this tells me? Is that if you fail a test, God will just give you the same test again until you pass it. How many would like to pass it the first time around? And not just have God just bring that test back again and again. My son, Andrew, is an air traffic controller at the regional center there in Palmdale. And so he just keeps getting tested for different, they, they oversee the whole southwest part of the United States. And so he just gets test, being tested over slices of the Pacific of Southwest, the Southwest part there. And he just has to keep taking it until he passes one quadrant. And then he can move on to the uh, next. And he has to keep taking the test until he passes it. And then move on to the next until he's got all the Southwest uh, covered there from that regional air traffic control center. And the same thing is true of us. If we fail with Joseph, God will bring us a Benjamin. And if we fail with Benjamin, he'll bring us somebody else. And he'll keep giving us that test until we pass the spiritual test. And then we can move on in our walk with him. Now here's the real heart of what we've been talking about. Joseph does not take revenge. And our question is why? If you're 
brothers, your family members sold you into slavery, how many of you would think about just revenge, just a, just a little bit? Huh? How many would be irritated by that slightly if, if they rejected you in that way? But here's the amazing thing. Joseph is captured by the upper story. Remember we've been talking about we live in the lower story, but God's got his master plan and purpose in our lives going on in the upper story. Joseph is captured by the upper story where God is working his purpose through the ups and downs in his story and in your story. God is working in your life in the ups and downs, the times of rejection, betrayal, enslavement, slavery, imprisonment. He's, he's dealing through those heartbreaking hard times in the lower story because he's got a master plan and purpose for your life in the upper story. And so it comes to the end, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Note to self, if your brother that you sold into slavery ends up being prime minister, be terrified, be afraid, be very afraid. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And and I know this is such a poignant line, but I find humor in it. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. You know, boys will be boys. They'll sell their brothers into slavery. It just happens every day. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. But God, but God, for two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, but God. Would you repeat those two words with me? But God, your situation you're dealing with in your life right now, but God, that, that, that thing that you don't understand and you don't know how it's gonna turn out, but God. See, that's the thing that makes everything different for the Christ follower is we've got those two little words that make all the difference in life, that, that we, we can make sense somewhat by faith out of the troubling stuff in our lower story because of those two little words, but God, but God has something going on in your life in the upper story that sometimes we can't understand in the lower story. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, what are the next two words you tell me, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. So God is at work in the new nation. Remember we said in the story that he started a new nation with the great-grandparents of of Joseph, Abraham, and Sarah. And now he's protecting that nation, sustaining it during this time of famine. When his father, Jacob, dies, the brothers think, well, maybe Joseph has just been good to us because the father's been alive, but now he's going to take his vengeance. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, What are the next words you tell me? But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. That person in your life right now intends to harm you. Let's not sugarcoat it. That situation in life is intended to harm you. But God is working in the upper story and intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, Joseph was God's agent to save the new nation by bringing that nation, ironically, to Egypt. Now, look at how God's working this thing out. The Israelites in Egypt were shepherds. 
The Egyptians considered shepherds an abomination. They hated shepherds. They considered them dirty and smelly and lower class, and they looked down on them. Uh, They they were racist. They were elitist uh, against the shepherds. And you say, well, how can God use that terrible thing? Well, if you look back to the previous chapters, there was a great danger of intermarriage with the Canaanites. I mean, this little group of 50 or 60 people is just going to get absorbed into the Canaanite nation unless something happens to change that. I mean, that's the natural way things happen. I mean, my uh, grandfather, Henry Gunderson, came here from Norway, and he promptly married a Swedish girl. And they had my dad, who married an Irish-German girl. And they had me, and I uh, marry a Scottish-English-French girl. And, and most of our kids and our granddaughter are, are Hispanic. And so there's in three, just three generations or 100 years, there's very little Norwegian about anything in our family. I mean, the Norwegian has just been stomped right out. And that's good. That's called America. That's a wonderful thing. That's what happens over time. But God wanted a distinct people, and he wanted to kind of get the thing going. And so he puts them in this incubator in Egypt where they're racist, they're prejudiced, they're elitist, they're classist. And so they're not dare going to let their daughters and sons intermarry with these Israelites. And so 400 years in this incubator goes by. And when it's done and we pick up the story next Sunday, here the Israelites had grown to a great nation of over a million distinct people. But God, and he's doing the same thing in your life and whatever you're going through. Picture's worth a thousand words. The tragedy that happened with the Azusa Glendora fire and, and we're so thankful for our firefighters, and we pray for those that were influenced by it. But here, in the midst of that, look at this picture from the burned hillside. And, and the, even the, I heard the A of the Azusa sign was even burned. Burned over, but look what remains. And that is a picture of your life. What you're going through, the fire. You've got a fire sweeping through your life right now, but you cling to the cross. But God Cling to the cross. And when the fires go, his ultimate purpose for you will remain. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's confusion in the lower story, but there's his purpose in the upper story. Let's stand for the closing benediction. I'm going to close with Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.